Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. After a NICU experience, considering another pregnancy can be stressful, especially if the previous pregnancy included an extended stay in the NICU or a tragic loss. On this episode, we'll speak with two NICU moms who experienced a pregnancy post-NICU. We'll share the same feelings of anxiety and fear that you may experience, especially as they approach the gestational week when their premature babies were born. And we're also going to look at experiences between a second NICU stay and welcoming a full-term baby post-NICU. So I'd like to welcome Adelina and Caitlin. Thank you both for being here today. So excited to talk with you. Adelina, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, my husband Jim and I were married in 2010, and we said we wanted to wait three to five years to have a baby. And when we were finally ready, we didn't know that it would take a while. (laughs) Um, Which happens a lot. Yep. I was one of those people who thought like it would just happen and it didn't. So I saw a fertility specialist to get some assistance. And I finally got pregnant with my son, Nathan, who um, was born at 26 weeks unexpectedly. My water broke in the middle of the night, probably... I'd say three o'clock in the morning. I thought I had to go to the bathroom. I got up and went to the bathroom, went back to bed and felt another urge to go to the bathroom and thought something's not right. I went back to the bathroom and full on gush. Um, My husband was in Japan at the time, so I was home alone. (laughs) I drove myself to Abington Hospital where I was told that my water did indeed break and that I wouldn't leave pregnant. And the plan was to stay there for eight weeks. At the time, I was 25 weeks, six days. Um, By the next morning at 26 weeks, I had an emergency C-section. And Nathan was born weighing one pound, 13 ounces. We spent 104 days in the NICU at Abington. And then you, you had Nathan. He came home after 104 days. And when did you decide to think about having an another baby or getting pregnant again? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I thought that when I was ready to do it again, I would go back to the fertility specialist for some assistance. And I got pregnant on surprise. Okay. <laughs> Which um, also happens. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so um, the day after my birthday, I took a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, Sophia. So then, of course, the panic set in because I thought to myself, what if I have another preemie? Mm-hmm. And now we also have Nathan at home. Um, it was hard enough managing the NICU without a toddler at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to work while Nathan was in the NICU because I carry insurance. So I managed going to work during the day. I'm a school teacher coming home 
eating dinner and then going to the hospital until 10, 11 o'clock at night, going to bed, going to work, home for dinner, back to the NICU. Um, and I just kind of thought, I don't know how we'll do this with a toddler at home too. Mm -hmm. um, so I spoke to my doctor about it and she explained that there was a chance I could have another preemie, but there's also the po possibility that I would carry to term. They didn't really know why my water broke um, and what caused me to have premature labor. So it was all kind of trial and error the second time around. Mm -hmm. That's great. And we're going to come back and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into your pregnancy so we can learn more about what that felt like for you. And in the meantime, we're going to touch base with Caitlin. So Caitlin, tell us your, your story is a little bit different, but tell us bit. a little <laughs> bit about your boys and then um, getting pregnant again and what that looked like. So... I, too, grossly underestimated how long it would take to get pregnant <laughs> um, and also saw a fertility specialist. Um, and it took some time, but eventually we found out that I was pregnant. Um, originally on my ultrasound, it showed one baby. And then by the second ultrasound, there were two, which was scary because who, know, who knew like, what was going to happen by the third ultrasound and the fourth. Like, hopefully they didn't keep multiplying. But um so um, from the beginning of my pregnancy, having twins, um, they kind of let me know that it was possible that I could have the boys early. Um, and at the time, I didn't really spend too much time thinking about it. It was a possibility. Um, anything going wrong is a possibility, and you don't want to kind of dwell on it too much. Um, so because they were, um, my boys are identical, I was getting biweekly ultrasounds. So I would go in to see my maternal fetal medicine specialist, um, every two weeks, they would check on the boys monitor for twin to twin transfusion syndrome, um, which basically is just something that can develop um, when you have two um, fetuses sharing a placenta, there can be uneven blood distribution, nutrient dis distribution, um, and all that. So by 25 weeks, um, I was feeling pretty uncomfortable. I was having what I figured out were Braxton Hicks-like um, contractions. And when I went in, I asked them to measure my cervix. And they told me, you know, we don't really do that until about 32 weeks. Um, don't worry about it. You're fine. Um, everybody feels uncomfortable when they're pregnant with twins. And I said, can you just do it? It would make me feel better. Um, so they did. And my, my cervix had shortened. Um, and they said, you know what, you, you need to go to the hospital. I went to the hospital. I was two centimeters dilated. Um, they admitted me to the mom unit, which is um, where you go when you are um, when you need to be inpatient, pregnant, um, in high risk pregnancy. And I was there for about three weeks, um, and they released me and said that my um, contractions weren't productive. There wasn't really much they could do. Um, resting at home is the same as resting in the hospital. And um, within 24 hours, my water also broke. I thought, you know, I started leaking and I thought, you know what, you know, people start, you know, peeing their pants when they're pregnant with twins, you know, like you can't um, you lose bladder control. And that, that's what I thought was happening. Um, and I went to bed and I woke up um, in a pile in a puddle of amniotic fluid. And so we rushed to the hospital and within about 12 hours, I was also in an emergency C-section. My son, Brayden, was two pounds, six ounces. My son, Parker, was two pounds, 12 ounces. Um, and so they had 
um, 62 and 74 day NICU stay respectively. Um, and so um, after they came home, um, their NICU stay was really difficult for me. Um, and then coming home was also really difficult for me. My son came home on oxygen and a monitor. Um, and it was just really hard managing two babies at home um, when you had been through what we had been through and seen um, what we had seen in the NICU. And so we really didn't think for a while about getting pregnant again. Um, and when we decided that, you know, we were ready to talk about having another one, um, it was a lot of conversation. Um, reached out to our doctors um, to figure out what the best way was to move forward. Um, and when we found out that we were in fact pregnant, um, it was the same thing, it was a lot of elation, but it was also, there's also a lot of trepidation there, um, worrying, thinking, what is this journey gonna be like? Were um, you considered high risk for that second pregnancy? So um, at the time in speaking with my OB, she said, yeah, you're considered high risk, but um, you know, we honestly think that um, the preterm labor, preterm birth, all of that was because you were pregnant with twins. And we wouldn't really worried about going forward. And at that moment I said, you know what, I don't I don't think that that's I don't think that's a good way to look at it. I didn't feel good about it. Um, I wasn't ready to say, you know what, it was probably just a fluke. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go into this and just hope for the best. Mm -hmm. So I am. Um, I switched um, I switched OB groups at that time. And I said, I'm gonna find somebody that takes this as seriously as I do. Mm -hmm. um, so when I found my next OB, um, I said, you know, I take this really seriously. I want to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist from the outset. Um, and so they were really understanding. They said, we want you to have the best shot at this as well. And they wrote me um, a referral to see the MFM right away. Um, and so initially, you know, yeah, I was considered high risk because I had given birth previously, but because I was pregnant with twins, um, they said, you know, what happens a lot. It's a, it's a fluke. And I wasn't really willing to expect that, to accept that as fact. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be monitored more closely. So I did switch at that time to a practice that I felt comfortable with. And Adelina, were you high risk, considered high risk? I was considered high risk the mm -hmm. second time. And what I hear you both saying, and I, I personally feel it as well, as we welcomed twin, identical twin girls at 23 weeks and then went on to welcome a full-term baby girl, but advocating for yourself to try and feel as comfortable as possible during that second pregnancy because it is scary. And um, what recommendations or what advice or what do you look back on during each of your experiences that you would tell others going through the same thing? How did you advocate for yourself? How did you get through that chunk of time, especially as you hit the gestational week <laughs> of when your first preemie was born? Um, what would you tell others going through it? Adelina, let's start with you. Um, my OB was very um, supportive of making sure that I kind of got the things that I needed. I did... Um, Makina progestion um, injections from starting at 16 weeks every week. And I had frequent ultrasounds in the beginning to measure my cervix. But part of me felt like I knew the possibility was still there. And at one of my appointments towards the end, they did say that my cervix was shortening. Um, 
but I was too far to get her cerclage. So they did mention, you know, at this point we can't really do anything. You can just continue the injections and you may have a preemie. Um, I had to kind of remind myself, which would be my advice, that yes, it's possible I'll have another preemie, but it's possible that I could make it to the goal of 37 weeks. For me, the goal was to get to 37 weeks, my mm -hmm. second pregnancy. Um, and I was scheduled for a C-section at 37 weeks. So I had to keep just telling myself one day at a time, one week at a time, and hopefully you'll get there. Yes. Um, and I did. So, mm -hmm. And a cerclage uh, is something that some families have to talk to their OBGYNs about. I know mm -hmm. personally for our family, I actually had two cerclages with our pregnancies post the girls being born. And that's a procedure where they stitch your cervix shut to give you a better shot at having a full-term full pregnancy. But I think the same thing happened with having the twins, Caitlin, for us, they said the same thing, that the second pregnancy, it was most likely due to the twins and twin to twin transfusion, which had started for our girls near, near when they were born. Uh, but what recommendations would you have? And I know you have another NICU stay to share with mm -hmm. all of us as well with <laughs> Kensley. But when you look back on that second pregnancy with her, what stood out for you? I mean, in terms of advocacy, I would say you just have to ask every question that comes to mind. You can't, don't second guess yourself. Don't, don't feel bad about asking questions. Don't feel like your questions um, aren't, aren't worthy of being asked. I spent a lot of time in the NICU um, worrying about whether my question was a good one. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody says there are no good questions, there are no bad questions, but you don't want to be that person who's asking, you know, a million <laughs> questions um, that aren't, you know, that aren't super helpful, you know, questions. But um, when after my experience with my original OB and I and kind of figuring out that I was the only one that could really speak for my daughter and speak for me and figure out um, and try to figure out what was best for us moving forward, I would say just always ask the questions um, and just always keep advocating for yourself. If you don't feel like something's right, um, push it, press on it, ask. Um, and the worst thing that happens is that your concern um, wasn't something to be super concerned about. Um, or maybe that's the best thing that can mm -hmm. happen. But um, either way, I would say you just have to, you can't worry about whether your questions are bothering someone, whether they're good, whether they're bad. You just got to ask them and, and learn as much as you can and make yourself feel as comfortable as possible. I always forward. felt like that was the best way to be an advocate is to just ask, ask as many questions. questions and to try and learn as much as you could. And for us, it was writing everything down. I mean, mm -hmm. we had a journal. I don't know about you both, but mm -hmm. we had a journal where we wrote every report down in the middle of the night questions that we had. And it was getting all of that kind of out of your head and onto That's a piece a of paper to mm -hmm. clear out some space for something else to fill in. But did you all do that as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wrote down the name of every single nurse every single day mm -hmm. because I wanted That's to know idea. who was taking care of my baby. Um, so that if I had a question or a complaint, um, I know I knew who it was related to. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm big on taking notes. So that That's was nice. helpful. Yeah, we um, I wrote everything down. I wrote I wrote weights down. I wrote nurses down. I wrote the doctors that were rounding down. I wrote everything down because it's just all um, 
It really can be so (laughs) overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, And you think you're going to remember something and you don't. So writing it down. um, I mean, I have notebooks devoted to um, to statistics and all that kind of stuff. Um, And numbers from when the boys were in the NICU. I have the same thing for when they came home. Um, Yeah, so definitely writing things down, um, trying to keep track of everything was was super helpful and and um, a necessity for me, yeah. So Caitlin, tell us a little bit more about your pregnancy with Kensley and how that felt, uh, what week she was born and the rest of your journey. Sure, Um, so uh, when we found out we were pregnant with Kensley, we were super excited, also um, a little nervous for what, what it could end up being. Um, and so after I did see, um, I went to see the MFM and we talked about, um, my, the boys preterm births and, um, I had an ultrasound and they told me that I had a, um, a complete placenta previa, um, and that the previa was in such a position that they didn't feel it was going to move. Um, now, a placenta previa is where the placenta, which is basically, um, it's a temporary organ that is the lifeline for the baby in utero, um, implants itself at the very bottom of the uterus on top of the cervix. Um, so it's in a position where it um, faces a lot of pressure. Um, and it's a super vascular organ, and so that puts you at risk for um, bleeding and hemorrhaging, um, which also puts the baby at risk for not having sufficient oxygen supply, sufficient nutrient supply. And they told me that no matter what, I had to have a C-section with her um, because of where the placenta was placed. And so I thought to myself, I thought I had a good shot at, at going to term. And the doctor told me, you know, a lot of a lot of people with a complete previa um, do have their babies early. And um, a lot of people, you know, do make it to term. But hearing that was just heartbreaking for me, knowing that um, it was going to be another, th- just a complete fluke, another um, condition I had to deal with, um, something I had no control over, something that... Um, hadn't anticipated so um so that was kind of that was kind of difficult um we also um I asked my OB about the progesterone injections um and I wasn't able to get them because they are indicated for um a previous singleton birth Mm -hmm. and I had Mm -hmm. given birth to two babies preterm um and so Luckily, um, I wasn't willing to to back down on it. I said, I am I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I have as many precautions in place as possible. And um, my nurse at my OBGYN um, really fought to find me um, a compounding pharmacy that would make the progesterone for me. Um, I paid for it out of pocket. It was worth it to me. Um, I was able to pay for it out of pocket. So we were really lucky. How did you work through? I mean, listening to you talk about really hoping that you can make it to full term, having all these emotions of knowing that that was not going to happen, uh, most likely, and that you were going to have a C-section with Kensley. How did you get yourself through those days? I mean, it was hard Um, when I walked out of MFM. I got in my car and I cried. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. You can you can cry here too. I always say all the time we can cry. We are allowed to cry whenever we want. I think I just did yesterday. It never I'm leaves sorry. you. I know it doesn't. It doesn't leave you. Do you feel like that, Adelina? Mm-hmm. That it just stays with you. You never forget. You never mm-hmm. forget. So I was. It was hard. Um, I I got through it by looking back at what the boys had been through. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot. And at the end of the day, I had had enough space from that journey to realize that what had happened in the NICU um, was a temporary thing. They came home. They were with me. Um, we, We got through it, and we did way better than I would have ever expected. If you would have told me when we were in the NICU with them that they would be doing this well, I wouldn't have believed anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept telling myself, you know, we did this once before. Um, hopefully we won't have to do it again, but um, we'll get through it if we do. Um, and we um, we kind of made sure that we had our support systems in place ahead of time Mm -hmm. that um, we talked to our families, we talked to our friends and we said, you know, this is a real possibility. We're going to have to do, we might have to do this again. Um, Kind of just figuring out what that would look like for us. Um, Having two babies at home. I mean, they were, they were almost three, so they aren't baby babies, but. um, A little. Yeah. You needed needed to have a care plan in place. Exactly. Um, And so we talked about it a lot. That's how we got through it. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get through it if I had just kept it inside, obviously, because I'm an emotional person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talked to our families. We talked to our to the doctors. We talked um, we talked to um, nurses and doctors that took care of the boys. Um, and we did things that, you know, kind of made us feel more confident in the plan that we would kind of execute mm-hmm. if, if it happened again. And that was definitely reassuring. And what week was Kensley born? Kensley was born at 31 weeks. Mm -hmm. So she made it three weeks longer than the boys, um, which if you've ever, um, if you've ever had kids in the NICU, you know, three weeks is a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes a a whole lot of a difference. Yes. Yeah. So. um, And how long was her stay in the NICU? She was there for 25 days, which felt like two days. Um, Mm -hmm. It was honestly, Compared to the boys' day, it, it felt like a breeze. I felt I, I felt like I was, you know, it felt great, which is so strange to say. But <laughs> when you were there the second time, did you feel similar emotions to when you were there with Braden and Parker? Or did you have different feelings with Kensley just with you being there the second time around? Did you feel more confident in the questions you were asking? Or how did that experience change? I definitely felt. I definitely felt more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in the hospital, um, I had a, a three-week hospital stay with her, too, because um, I did have a bunch of um, ep- hemorrhaging episodes. But um, I felt like I, I kind of knew a little bit what I was looking for. I knew the questions to ask. Um, I, knew, um, I knew the environment, and that's just such, a, such an unknown before you get into the NICU Mm -hmm. is what, it's an intensive care unit. I mean, we talk about the NICU, um, you know, you don't, you've 
tend to forget that it's an ICU. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it's a place where you go to see your baby every day. It's a, a nurturing environment, but it is, um, it's a unit at a hospital where critically ill babies um, live for the first few weeks of their life. And um, I felt like I, you know, looking back on on their time there, I felt like I, I, I was familiar with the alarms. I was familiar with the episodes that she might have. I was familiar with the fact that I might be pumping every two hours throughout her stay and at home when she wasn't home with me. Um, so I did feel kind of empowered by that, by the knowledge that I gained during my past experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say I wasn't afraid. I was very afraid. I didn't know how it would be different. Um, but, you know, when I when I went in there the first time, I felt like I've done this before. Um, I felt a lot more informed. I felt a lot more confident in, in how um, things were going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And, thank you. And thanks for being vulnerable, right, yeah, and course. sharing your emotions. <laughs> I feel... I feel like it's so important, and we talk about that a lot with mm-hmm. our work with Today is a Good Day to help foster that connection among parents and to have open dialogue with friends who understand, yeah. who have walked down this path. And speaking of that, with Sophia Adelina, so your journey with her, you did make it to? 37 weeks. 37 weeks. And, and one day, I think it was, <laughs> they scheduled my C-section. Yes. Um, and her journey was very different than Nathan's. Um, because she was considered early term, I did have a scheduled C-section. And um, I don't know about in Caitlin's emergency situation, I was put to sleep in mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Um, yes. Friendly, so so um, I was going to be awake this time. So that in itself was different. But I had a lot of anxiety about it that I don't even remember having her. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was apparently panicking during like the preparation and of my c-section that they gave me some medicine to calm me down that I was so calm that I didn't even know I had a baby (laughs) um I was awake but um when I first saw her I was actually in recovery because I had kind of like relaxed and dozed off that when I woke up there was this baby on my Mm -hmm. chest and I was kind of like well she's here um and I didn't see Nathan for 12 hours until after, after he was born. So to see her almost right away was a different feeling. And they had told me that she could be on the smaller side because she was 37 weeks as opposed to mm-hmm. 40. Um, but she weighed six pounds, five ounces, and Nathan weighed one pound, 13 ounces. So to me, she looked huge. Right. <laughs> I'm like, this right. baby is not small. Um, so it was a different journey with her um, because I did get to the 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. But Sophia ended up in the PICU um, on the day I was to be discharged. So some of those, although it wasn't the NICU, some of those emotions came back because Nathan was home. He was expecting us to come home. We had told him we were, you know, we were going to, I was going to be home and the baby was going to be home. But something in my gut told me that something wasn't right with her. She was really fussy and just couldn't seem to settle. And I felt like she looked a little yellow and her eyes were really yellow. And finally, on the day when I got discharged, they diagnosed her with jaundice. And 
her weight had gone down. She had lost about a pound and a half. And um, her temperature was on the lower end. So they said, we have to send her to the PICU. So then this wave of emotion came back because here I am again, expecting to go home with my baby and she has to stay. Thankfully, Abington let me stay as well with her um, in the PICU. But again, my husband went home with Nathan and here we are another day that we weren't expecting. And it was just one day, but that one day was so hard for me because she had to stay under the Billy Rubin light. I couldn't touch her. It was like all of those things came back where mm-hmm. you can't really, your baby is there and you're next to them, but you feel like you can't really be their mother. I couldn't mm-hmm. hold her when she was fussing. You know, I had to leave her under there as much as possible. So again, some of those feelings came back. And what got Nathan. you through that? What got you through that even though it was a short pick, you yep. say, but those emotions that came flooding so back. They told me it, it, it should just be one day. If you keep her under the light and, you know, she gets as much exposure as possible, it should just be one day. So I kept telling myself, it's just going to be one day. It's, and I I was like, we're only staying here one day. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, I mean, that's really what got me through because I'm like, it's one day. I'm, I, I cannot stay here more than one day. Right. But when they told me, you know, she was going to have to stay. And if they, they could have actually kept me, but then if they kept me, they would have had to check on me and do all those, you know, things they do when you're a patient, where if they discharge me, she could go to the PICU and they wouldn't have to keep coming in to check my temperature and ask me Mm -hmm. my pain. So they did just discharge me. But um, I just kept saying to myself, this is one day, because when they told me she had to go to the PICU, like, when Caitlin got her news, I instantly had tears. Um, and Jim had already like started to take stuff home and was going to come back to get us. And I called him and I'm like, she can't come home. And he's like, what? And I was like hysterically upset. And, um, he's like, it's okay. You know, it's, it's not going to be 104 days. And in my mind, I'm like, but it's another day here. (laughs) Um, but I had to keep reminding myself, it's going to just be one day and then she'll get to come home, which she did. And like Caitlin, we had some supports in place for when we came home because Nathan was going to be three. Um, so he was still little and very needy. So thankfully my mom, my in-laws helped with him, um, of course, it's March where it's kind of like that cold season. You know, Nathan had a cold and a cough, so we didn't want him to come to the hospital to see his sister. And so my mom took care of him. My in-laws took care of him. I have a really good friend um, named Cheryl who, when Nathan was in the NICU, she organized a meal train so mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about food. She did the same exact thing for Sophia. So when we got home every day, for the first couple of weeks, somebody was delivering meals because I had a C-section and I wasn't going to be able to, you know, get up and cook and also try to tend to the two of them. So I think the support systems that you put in place are very helpful. I wouldn't have survived mm-hmm. without my family and friends. I do think that's something that friends and family ask 
quite a bit, especially after you've been in the NICU mm-hmm. for so long. What what can I do? People don't know what to do to help you. What's something that stood out? You just mentioned the meal train, Adelina, mm-hmm. as something that stood out. We had a similar experience of meals being delivered to our door so frequently that yeah. we almost had too much food at one point. <laughs> I don't know about you. But anything for you, Caitlin, that stood out that others did for you? If, if somebody's listening who is wondering what they could do for a friend or family member going through the NICU. What was important to you? I would say one of like one of the most important things, and it does, it sounds trivial, but just um, being able to talk with someone and be vulnerable and have that person say, you know what, that, that sucks. That Mm -hmm. does stink. That doesn't seem fair. Instead of, instead of just saying, um, you're so lucky and mm-hmm. everything's going to be fine. And, and, but look, but look how great they're doing. And just kind of sitting with you for a minute and saying, you know what, this, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't feel fair. Um, and asking questions like, um, just asking questions about, about the baby and asking questions about you and how you're doing. Um, moms get lost in it a lot, I think. Um, and it was so helpful to me to have people there um, to help with the kids when I was pumping because um, I couldn't breastfeed. And I was pumping every two hours, even once Kensley came home and um, having three little ones and pumping every two hours is kind of inconvenient. So um, <laughs> having someone there to help, just even having somebody there, even if they're not doing anything, was helpful mm-hmm. um, besides Kevin or I. Um, having someone, Kevin had to go back to work. Having someone to watch the kids, but also someone to take me to the hospital. I couldn't drive because I had a C-section. Um, just, you know, just, you know, an ear um, or a physical presence just means so much. And Adelina, anything else that family and friends did for you that really made an impact? Um, I, I know with Nathan, the biggest impact, which helped ease my mind for Sophia, was because I'm a school teacher. Um, I was there one day and gone the next. And if you know what it's like to plan for a sub, it takes more effort to plan for someone else to take over your classroom than to just do it yourself. And I had nothing prepared because I didn't know I wouldn't be back. So with Sophia, as I kept getting closer to that 26 week, I was like trying to plan out for two more weeks in case it happened. But my coworkers were great mm-hmm. in that too. Um, when my water broke with Nathan, I was supposed to have parents in that day for American Ed Week, where the parents come in and participate and see. That same day I went to the hospital, parents were coming into my classroom, and I'm texting my assistant principal from the hospital telling her at like five in the morning, my water broke and parents are coming in today (laughs) and I won't be there. Um, And my job was great in that they kind of said, don't worry about it. Right. You know, we'll figure it out. Um, my kids were giving a presentation that I was using for a grade. My assistant principal came in and she watched them do their presentations and she did their scoring for me. Um, so just kind of having people fill in where you feel like there's a void or you're missing something um, is very helpful. And my, I think my friends and family did a good job of trying to keep things as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we still went on with my baby shower, even though Nathan was in the NICU. And that was helpful. I was hesitant about it. I had him November 20th. My shower was scheduled for December 5th. So, it, I mean, it was all very new. 
and we decided not to cancel. And it was so nice to get out and just kind of feel normal, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Even though I didn't know what his journey would be if he'd come out of the NICU, it still felt nice to like celebrate him and the fact that, you know, he was here. And be with family and and be with some friends. And just take my mind away for a little bit of the reality of what was really happening Mm -hmm. and just celebrate was nice. So just kind of trying to keep things normal while also realizing that they're not normal. No, that that is such an important key to the NICU experience. We talk about it a lot with some sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to leave the NICU and to go to Target or to go get your nails done or to spend some time on your self-care to stay home and watch a television show and just rest on the on the couch, right? To really try to take some of that time for some dedicated self-care so that you can heal and recover from the, the trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the trauma. <laughs> Going back to a second pregnancy and personally experiencing this as well, the point where you hit the gestational age that your preemie was born. Let's walk through that a little bit because that can be really emotional. And I still remember the day when we were pregnant with Martha Rose and that 23 and five week day came. It was very emotional for us. How did it feel for you both when you hit that point during your next pregnancy? I don't know, Adelina, if you want to start. Sure. Um, I had a lot of anxiety about it. With Nathan, I didn't even have a hospital bag packed. So with Sophia, I packed my bag, I would say by like 20 weeks, I had a bag ready to go. And I kept adding stuff to it, but at least (laughs) I had something. Um, And when I got to about 20, I had Nathan at 26 exactly, but about 25 weeks, I could feel... A change, And I think I was oversensitive to everything that was happening with my body. Um, because with Nathan, I thought, kind of like Caitlin mentioned, that my friends always said, like, when you laugh, you're going to pee a little. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. so with Nathan, I would sometimes get what I thought was a little bit of pee, like I couldn't control my bladder. And I actually think I was leaking mm-hmm. yep. the entire time and just didn't know it. Um So when I got to about 25 weeks with Sophia, I felt like I always thought I was peeing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I would be at work and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I would check and there's nothing Mm -hmm. there. But I just kept feeling like it was happening again. Um, And it wasn't. Um, And every little bit of pressure that I felt or every sensation was over um, dramatic. And I called the doctor a couple of times to say, like, can you just check to make sure um, and a couple of times they would say, you know, just come in and make you feel better. And a couple of times they would say, until it gets to X, Y, Z, don't worry about it. When I got to 26 weeks, there was like this weight mm-hmm. that kind of fell off my shoulders. And it's weird when you really think about it, because had I made it to 27 weeks, she still would have been extremely early. But something about getting past the 26 week mark just made everything feel less of a, I don't want to say a burden because having a baby isn't a burden, but it just kind of took some of that weight off of my shoulders. And I felt some relief, if Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And with those emotions that you felt, that anxiety that you felt leading up to 26 weeks, 
you know that's my favorite question to ask, but how'd you work through that? I mean, if you were talking to another family who was going through the same thing, how did you get yourself through those difficult moments? Well, one of the big things for me was I tried to make sure that my husband was home. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) Because the first go round, he was all the way in Japan. Yes. So as we got closer to the 26 weeks, I was like, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay here in case something happens. Um, But in my mind, I think I really, I really thought I wasn't going to make it to 37 weeks. I was prepared. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I was prepared to have another preemie. I don't think, I really don't think I had hope that I would get to full term. And part of me felt like if I think I'm going to have her early, and I do, I won't be disappointed because I was prepared for that. Whereas on the other end, I'm like, if I think I'm going to get to 37 weeks and I don't, I'm going to feel disappointed because with Nathan, I felt disappointed. I felt like my body had failed me. Mm-hmm. And I was angry. I didn't get to do maternity pictures. I didn't get to do a photo shoot in the hospital or a newborn photo shoot when he came home. I felt like I had missed all of those things and I was angry. So with her, I kind of said to myself, this is going to happen and I'll be ready for it. Um, so when it didn't happen that way, it was like a, a good surprise. I didn't have that disappointment that I felt with mm-hmm. Nathan. Um, and I know it sounds kind of backwards to say, but I did. I expected her to come early. I prepared myself. Mm-hmm. I said, we're just going to take it one day at a time, but she's probably going to come early. So when she did it, it was a pleasant surprise. And one day at a time. I mean, that is the biggest key mm-hmm. phrase, For, right? Yep. In it, the NICU, second pregnancy, everything is one day at a time. One and day. I, we heard that so much. I mean, I was only there 24 hours before I had Nathan, but I remember when um, the neonatologist came in and she said to me, the goal is to get to 34 weeks. The goal is for you to stay here for eight weeks. And um, I had Nathan the week before Thanksgiving, and I love Black Friday shopping. I had never (laughs) missed Black Friday shopping. So when she said, you're going to stay here for eight weeks, I was like, I can't go shopping on Black Friday. (laughs) That was my first like response. What? And I thought, I can't stay here for eight weeks. Um, little did I know that I'd only be there 20, you know, 24 hours before I had him. But even after he was born, they kept saying, one day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. Um, and I kind of kept that same mentality when I was pregnant the second time. One day at a time. Mm-hmm. Every day we get closer to 37 weeks, we're just taking it one day at a time. And sometimes it's one hour, it's one moment, <laughs> it's one second yep. at a time, especially through the NICU, but also going through that next pregnancy because it f- is filled with ups and downs. And I don't know about you all, but I thought more about picking things up and moving things or things that I did the first time around that I thought, oh, I don't think I'm going to do right. that this what time. What did I do that might have caused this right. to happen? Even though we know that we didn't. Right. You just <laughs> so, you feel that way. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is you do think about that with the second pregnancy. How about you, Caitlin? I mean, by the time I hit 28 weeks, which was when the boys were born, um, I had already been hospitalized a couple of times. And each of those times I thought, if this is it, um, just going to deal with it. It's so helpful to, um, to know of so many success stories Um Claire is one of them, <laughs> um, being born so early and doing so well. 
um, and just, um, you know, entertaining the thoughts of this could happen and remembering, you know, where I remembered, you know, where I was, um, you know, in the days before the boys were born. Um, I mean, I was at the mom unit, but um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> what I meant to say. <laughs> the days before I went into the mom unit, I remember being pregnant and going apple picking and, and I picked like 30 pounds of apples and I went to the hospital and they're like, you're probably going to be here for a long time. And I was like, I have 30 pounds of apples at home. Like, what am I going <laughs> to do with that? that go through yeah, your mind, so, right? Those apples were so important. Um, but I remember when I approached 28 weeks with Kensley, I remember um, everything came flooding back every moment and just thinking, you know, saying, you know, every, every baby is different. Every pregnancy is different. Um, I could make it one more day. I could make it full term. Um, and just trying to think of the things that could happen that could be positive while kind of mentally preparing myself as well for if things, um, if things took a turn for the worse. Um, but getting through it, I mean, I really did just, um, I talked to my husband about how I was feeling. Um, as you can see, I'm not good at hiding how I'm feeling. <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of crying, but also having, um, two boys that turned three to watch made me feel so much better. Um, just thinking how close, you know, how far they've come and, you know, thinking like, if I do have her today, we're going to, I think we're going to be okay was, um kind of how I got myself through it. All right, so I have to ask you both, biggest piece of advice that you have for a family who has experienced the NICU, is currently pregnant with uh, their next pregnancy, how do they get through it? What's your biggest piece of advice that you give them? Caitlin, do you wanna start? Um, sure. Um, I would say if you're thinking about getting about having another, um, you just have to, you just have to go forward with it and know that, um, that you could have a preemie, you could not have a preemie, and you can't let that affect your decisions. You have to think, you know, I think about it, and I would go through every single thing that I went through with the boys to have them here. I would go through that all again. Um, it was totally worth it just to even have the chance. Mm -hmm. It might not turn out that way, but just to have the chance that and um, having them. Um, and so that was something I thought about, you know, I, I'll go through it again at the shot of having, having another, another amazing little person in my life. And you can do it. You can, you can do it. You can, do yep. it. you can make it through. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adelina? Um, I would say that living through the NICU shows you a side of yourself that you don't realize exist. I always thought I was a strong person, but I didn't really realize how strong I was until I ended up in the NICU. And I'll tell you, I, all my life, had been terrified of needles at the doctor's <laughs> office and injections. And then when I got pregnant with Sophia, I was getting a painful injection every oh. week, um, alternating sides of my mm -hmm. derriere here <laughs> and that would leave lumps and whelps mm -hmm. and I would like Caitlin I would do it all again mm -hmm. um because the end result is worth it and you just have to stay positive you have to have hope and you have to surround yourself with people who encourage you and support you and remind you that you can do it and Pregnancy is something that we have no control over. 
I mean, life is something we have no control over. So realizing that there is a possibility that you may have a preemie, um, you may not, but the sacrifice is worth it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. That's what mm-hmm. I hear from both of you. You can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing to remember. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Really appreciate you sharing your stories, opening up uh, so that others can hear what you all have been through and hear about your wonderful miracles and how they're doing. Awesome. Thanks for having thank you. me. Thank you.